morning. Sorry, on the back turn to you. Good morning. <laughs> welcome. If this is your first time, welcome. We're glad that you could join us this morning. Let's get, I'm feeling echo. You guys hear echo? Is it just me? Just me. Okay, we're good. As long as it's just me, we're good. It's my head. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, we're continuing this morning our journey through, the, uh, we're just starting our second week into the book of Colossians. Paul's letter that he wrote uh, to the church in Colossae, um, a church that he uh, didn't actually plant the church there, uh, different than Ephesians and Philippians, um, but he, he got word from Epaphras who came to visit him that there was this group in Colossae that had heard the gospel that had heard the grace of God in truth and understood it, and gave a report that they were, um, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they, were they had a love for all of the saints. And so Paul wrote this letter to them. And last week, we talked about just the hope that, that Paul testified to as he was um, uh, speaking to them, and, and this, it's this, this prayer at the beginning of him giving thanks for what he's heard and what he knows that they have, this hope in Jesus Christ that comes from the gospel uh, that they've heard and produces faith and love in them. Um, and then the, uh, as we're continuing in, we're getting into a, a prayer still from Paul, but now a petition on their behalf. God, he's asking God for something on their behalf. And one of the verses that we're going to hit this morning is the theme verse for trail life. We got some trail life people back there. Um, there was a time that I, I uh, helped to lead trail life. It's a, it's a, um, it's a troop. It's uh, a scouting troop. I use the right words on that. Um, it, it's a scouting troop uh, that is very recent, last five years they came up with. It's very much tied into the church. And their theme verse is Colossians 1.10. And when we would do the flag ceremony at the beginning with the boys, and, and we would, we would uh, recite uh, different parts of that flag ceremony, we would recite Colossians 1.10. And the theme, uh, the motto of trail life was to walk worthy. It's right there in Colossians 1.10. So they would all say, we have, I've got a trail life. Hey, Andy back there, you remember it? Colossians 1.10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then the boys would raise their hands and say, walk worthy! Walk worthy. Boy, as, as Paul is praying for the Colossians, he's praying that they would walk in a manner Boy, I want to walk. I want to live in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. His grace in my life, His grace in our lives is deserving of a life that walks worthy of Him. So let's pick up in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. The passage we're going to cover this morning. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Father, uh, such grace that you have given through your Son to give us redemption, to give us forgiveness of our sins, to transfer us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your Son. And God, I want my life to be worthy of you. God, we want this church to be worthy of you. Lord Jesus, we want to walk. 
So I just pray that this morning you would show us from your word how we can do that. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Walk in a manner worthy. How do we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It's, it's right there in Paul's prayer as he begins in verse 9. He says, and so from the day we heard, that's going back to verse 2, that from the day they heard of the, of the faith and the love of the, the, the Colossians had, had received the gospel of Christ, what did they do? Uh, they began praying for them, that they, that he said, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So he was praying for the means that they would be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's, he was praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. If I'm going to walk worthy of the Lord I, and, and pleasing to him, I need to know what he wants. I need to know what, what is pleasing to the Lord. I need to know what it is His will is for my life if I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of Him, if I'm going to please Him in my life. And, how, and, and that <clears throat> will of God to know that is going to be in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's what we're going to look at a big part of this this morning. It's not my wisdom not what I think God wants, or, or what I think uh, is the will of God. It's, it's all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's, that's our first point there, if you're following your notes. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not the wisdom and understanding of the pastor. It's not the wisdom and understanding of a religious leader. not the wisdom and understanding of the culture that we live in. Often, and even today, we find that those things, there's a lot of pressures culturally around us, uh, and agendas culturally around us. And there's efforts to say, this is what is good, and so this is what would be pleasing to God. Forcing a cultural bent, a cultural view into a view of what would be pleasing to God. And so then in my life, if I think, well, if I, if I follow that and everyone's happy with what I'm doing, then I am walking in a manner pleasing to God. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that spiritual wisdom and understanding is going to be where we find knowledge of the will of God for our lives. Spiritual. So how do I gain the spiritual wisdom and understanding that's going to so affect my life? Not only guide me, but what we see throughout here is that it actually will affect me. It, it will change my life to have this wisdom and understanding. So three things I've got here for how, how we can gain this spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first is right here. The Word of God. This is, this is God's Word. Of course, in here, I'm going to find what His will is. And, and so through the Word of God, look with me in Hebrews um, chapter 4, verse 12. I think in your notes, I've got that backwards. I put 12.4. I'm sure it's a great verse, 12.4. But that's not what we're going for. 4.12. The Word of God says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If I, in my life, am going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, when I open God's word, not only is it going to show me wisdom and understanding concerning what's going on around me, but it's going to look inside of me and cut to the very core of who, my, who I am, discerning the thoughts and intentions of my heart. 
That discernment is the wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding of the Lord. So in God's word, I'm going to find spiritual wisdom and understanding. But not just in God's word. It's, it's through the working of the Holy Spirit in God's word. And so the second, the second thing is through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to gain spiritual wisdom and understanding. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. How can I presume to know what God thinks? How can I presume to know, oh no, God, this is how God sees things as good. This is what I need to do to please God. Apart from looking in his word and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, how can I presume to know that? I can't. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. When Paul writes these letters, it's not the wisdom of Paul that's being written wisdom of God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What does it mean that someone is spiritual? They have the Spirit of God in them. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. And these truths are spiritual truths. We have a little bit of a difficulty with what does that mean? Um, and we'll get into that a little bit more, I think. But, but we see spiritual truth. Does that mean it's this thing I can't really nail down, that I can't really understand well, that, that it's just kind of mystical? And, and No. What's a, an important spiritual truth? God sent his son, Jesus. That's a spiritual truth. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Jesus died on the cross for sin that I've committed against God. Those are spiritual truths. But it says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Can, a, can a, an unbeliever, an unspiritual person be able to describe Christianity's view of salvation? Yes, they can. They can read this and, and understand grammatically and understand the concepts, understand uh, what it's saying. There's, there's many Bible scholars that will go through and they'll be able to describe the atonement and, the, and just the technical aspects of it, but they can't accept it because it's folly. It's unreasonable to them. Does that mean the gospel is unreasonable? No. Once the Holy Spirit shows us, turns the lights on to see truth and to see things as they truly are from God's perspective, it's very reasonable. It's something that we can understand. But under sin, and not just our own sin, but as, as 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, it's the, the ruler of this world has blinded the eyes, the minds of unbelievers so that they won't be able to see the glory of the gospel, the light of the gospel. There's a blindness mentally to understand spiritual things. But once the Holy Spirit is in us and working through us, 
to be able to say, no, look, here is the, what has been a mystery, but now is clear. This is the gospel. This is the truth of God's world. This is wisdom and understanding by the Holy Spirit. It's not this crazy out there thing that, that some you know, super Christian's going to understand, but no one else can understand. We all have what we need through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, to understand these things. They're spiritually discerning. It says in verse 15, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What does that mean? Spiritual person is not operating under his or her own wisdom. Spiritual person is, is following Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Set your path straight. Whichever version it is, I know. See, the, the spiritual person is depending on the wisdom of God, has humbled themselves to say, no, not my own wisdom, but I'm going to live under the wisdom of the Almighty God. And so they can judge all things because it's not their own wisdom that's judging. It's the wisdom of God that judges all things. They can be judged by no one because who can judge the wisdom of God? They're not operating in their own wisdom. Who can judge the wisdom of God, no one. So it says in verse 16, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? No one. But we have the mind of Christ. Think about that. As one who has had the mind of sin. As one who who has struggled with everything from, from anger to, uh, to um, jealousy to, to lust to everything else in my life. Those are things that, that in the flesh have been in my mind. The salvation in those words to say we have the mind of Christ is incredible. Say lay down my own wisdom desires, my own wants. Lay down me at the foot of the cross and let the mind of Christ be what I think. And that's where we have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Finally, we gain spiritual wisdom and understanding through the Word of God. We gain it through the Holy Spirit. It through prayer. That's how he started this. In verse 9, and so, back in Colossians, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He didn't start with, oh, they need a letter. Let's form that letter and send it to them so that they have what they need. No. He started with, let's pray for them. We have not ceased to pray for you since we heard about this. How is it that you're going to gain spiritual wisdom and understanding? To pray. My prayer for us, church, is just as Paul has prayed. First with thanksgiving for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That was the first part. But I do pray for everyone from myself that we would have understanding, God's understanding, God's perspective to know his will in our lives so that we will walk in a manner worthy. When we open up God's word, we shouldn't open it arrogance of, of all of our all of our views and presuppositions and, and 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 here's what we want to pull out of it here's what we want to impose on it to say this is what I want from God's word we shouldn't do that and it's so easy to do that what am I looking for 
Why am I going to God's word? Is there a reason behind that that has an agenda in my heart? Lay that down. And in all humility, get on our knees in prayer. Say, God, convict me by your word. Show me your wisdom. Give me your understanding. That's how we're going to get wisdom and understanding from God's word. There are many people who open God's word and to them there's no life. Because they're not reading for the life that it brings. I'm going through seminary. And unfortunately, that means I get to read a lot of the academic work that's out there. Some of it's really good, some of it's really not. And it's surprising to me how much material is out there where you can just immediately see they don't get the life that's in this book. Source criticism, uh, historical criticism, Treating this as if it's just another ancient document, like any other historical document. Ignoring so much of even the practical evidence that sets this book apart from every other book. This book, it's not just one book, but is, is, uh, is a collection of books, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. This isn't, this isn't a work of man, just as Paul said. But this, this is a work of the Holy Spirit speaking through men, through 40-plus different authors over a period of 1,600 years, and there is an impossible, humanly impossible, coherence and, and consistency of message throughout this book that humanly you wouldn't be able to accomplish. And yet that just that one simple piece of evidence doesn't, make anyone check their spirit and say, oh, well, maybe I need to treat this book differently. And they come to it with an agenda. They don't come to it on their knees. For us to gain the wisdom and understanding of the Lord, spiritual wisdom and understanding, it needs to be on our knees in prayer that God would So what does that cause? That is the means to walk worthy. According to this passage. What does that look like? Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then everything that follows here describes what walking worthy what living according to the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work. We know those are good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In obedience to that. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Getting to know God better. That's what it looks like is walking in obedience to him, and getting to know him better. This is a good and wonderful and amazing and glorious thing to get to know God. As, as we walk through difficult times, dark times, I know many of you just in your own families have had to go through difficulties. It's in those times that we come to know Jesus better. We come to know God better. That's a blessed thing. That's what happens when we're walking worthy of him, in obedience to him, bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Oh my goodness, that's a mouthful. It doesn't have anything to do with my effort has to do with the glory of what God does in the lives of those who are, who are living in his wisdom and his understanding and obedient to his will, that it's by his power then that they live. His power in their life. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. 
And then it puts these things together that normally we don't think of as a good thing. Endurance, patience, joy. Those, those don't actually go together normally in a human experience. But walking according to the will of God is not human experience. It's spiritual glory. Patience, endurance, joy, thanksgiving to the Father for the amazing work that he has done saving us. In this is that hope that he was thankful for in the beginning part. Our, our eyes set on the hope, eternal hope that we have because of what God has accomplished in us. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That word for inheritance uh, is more of like a, a, a portion. It's, it's an allotment is what it's speaking of. It's speaking of a future place that God has for us. It's been set aside for us. There's imagery here in this passage that looks back to uh, the Exodus and the Israelites. They were saved out of slavery in Egypt, and he prepared for them a place in the promised land that was already set apart. They already had allotments. There was already wells dug. There were already vineyards. There was already everything they needed done and ready for them to go in and enjoy. That's the imagery here that, that now, that actually was imagery of what this is now, that he has saved us out of darkness. And he has set aside this place for the saints that is a future hope. So in verse 13 and 14, he's describing more of what verse 12 was. What is, what are we talking about giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints and light? Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. It's almost difficult to, to really grasp that. That's a completed work. It's past tense. When did he do that? He, he did that when they put their faith in Christ, when they heard and understood the word of truth, the grace of God in truth, when they understood that, the gospel of Jesus Christ, through Christ, the Father delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And in that kingdom of His beloved Son, we have redemption. He has purchased us with His own blood. We have forgiveness of our sins. I think in some ways in 2020, United States, we're at a disadvantage in really grasping this compared to potentially where the Colossians were. Um, people who are smarter than me and study history and look at where we're at today, uh, they, they've, they've looked at just the cultural mindset towards faith and spiritual things and where that fits in our actual lives and practices. And, and they describe it as, as if, if my life is a two-story building and on the top floor is, is all the things having to do with my faith. And that's where spiritual stuff would be. Spiritual wisdom, understanding. And on the bottom floor is, is the rest of my life and everything that I do. The 1800s, getting into 1900s, you know, you could describe that as having a staircase between the two. And you kind of go from one to the other. And there's some overlap in there. But there's still kind of a separation. I've got church, and I've got religion, and I've got my faith. And then I've got the rest of my life. It's, it's a different, separate experience with some overlap. But then they looked at our culture, and what has changed is that the stairway's been taken away. It's cemented over. That mostly in our culture today, there's just a hard separation. Faith, spirituality, my job, my family, two completely separate things. That's our culture. Now praise the Lord that I know many of you, and I know by what I've seen that you've invited Jesus into every part of your life. He's downstairs, he's in the closet, he's in the garage. 
and he's affecting every part of your life. Praise the Lord. That's what faith, true faith, looks like. But we are a part of this culture, and in our thinking in this culture, there's still a difficulty uh, to think about spiritual things and physical things and how they relate together. We tend to still separate those things, that, that the choices we make and the things that we do, we don't connect that to having a spiritual consequence. We don't really think about the fact that we are a spiritual being, that when this life is over and then this body is done, that I continue to exist. What's the temporary thing? Is it the spiritual thing or is it the body? The body's the temporary thing. So I'm a spirit with a body. We don't think that way. We don't think how things like sin affect more than just maybe myself and maybe those immediately around me if, if the nature of the sin is something that does that. We don't think of the spiritual consequence of sin. On the flip side, when we do something good, when we show love towards someone, we don't necessarily think about the spiritual results of doing that. And so, when we see something like this and we start talking about a spiritual realm, having been delivered from a domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, what does that even mean? We, we don't think spiritually. There's something real that happened at this point. What's the result of putting my faith in Christ? It's not just like join, joining a club. It's not like everything else that we just try on for a little while and see if it works. No, this is committing my life to Christ. And when I do that, when I place my faith in Christ, there is in the spiritual realm significant change, significant things that happen. The Spirit of God comes to dwell within me. That's a significant difference. That changes my life. And, and, and there's not, part of our, under, our misunderstanding is even, we, we see a disconnect. That things in the spiritual realm, how do those affect things in my life? They do. They, they have a physical effect. Things that I do physically, those have an effect spiritually. We don't see that connection. But when the Spirit of God comes into my life, that has a real effect, a real change. And, and we also know from other places in Scripture that, in, that when we put our faith in Christ, that the Spirit of God puts His seal on our life as a guarantee to the future inheritance. And what we're seeing here is a transfer out of a domain of darkness into a kingdom of Christ. Now, I, I didn't. You know, I go outside. I, I don't see a different king. I don't see a domain of darkness and a and a, a separate kingdom. My eyes, I don't see it. On, was it Friday? I was outside playing football with the boys. It was beautiful. Just a domain of darkness around me. But what I was experiencing was actually the grace of God. That's what, in Matthew 5, it says, as, as Jesus is giving an example of why we should love our enemies, it's because, look at the example of your father who, who gives rain uh, to, to both the, the righteous and the wicked, and, and he, he blesses with his creation those who are just and unjust, even so you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. No, what I was experiencing on Friday was not the domain of darkness part, it was the grace of God that is there for everyone right now. But there is a domain of darkness. It's spiritual. It's real. It's around us. And the and the Colossians might have understood that better. Um, and I think people within our culture who come out of a background that is digging more into spiritual things but within the domain of darkness and are saved out of that, they have a better perspective of what this It's difficult for us. There's a book. I'm going to try to see if I can get it. Yes, on my phone. A book called The Unexpected Journey by Tom, uh, Tom Rainer. And throughout the book, 
he just he went with his wife to interview a whole bunch of different people that came from different uh, backgrounds of other beliefs, uh, but then converted to believe in Jesus. Um, and, and two of the examples in there <clears throat> of people that really get what this means to have been delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. There's one person who came from a background of, as an ex-witch uh, and had a whole mixture of things, uh, Wiccan and Egyptian gods and different things that, that was her background. And then there was, uh, there was a, an ex-Satanist and, and incredible testimonies from both of them of, of what God did to save them out of that. But let me read just real quick from Kathy. Um, uh, there's already a big part of her testimony where she, she has um, come to know Christ, but there's still more that needs to be done in her life. And it says, it was at that point that I sensed God speaking to me again. She said, choosing her words carefully, he told me that the other gods I had been worshiping had to go. Up to that point, I had seen my conversation, my conversion as a lateral move. I still had my other gods. I wasn't convinced they were evil or that paganism was wrong. But now God said that they had to go. I hesitated at first because I had become so comfortable with these other gods. They had been with me for many years. Something alarming as you look through these testimonies. We have an idea from Hollywood of what a Satanist might look like. That in their experience, it's good. It's light. They, they had a youth group. They love the youth in their youth group. Satan doesn't present himself as a dark being. The domain of darkness doesn't present itself as a dark thing. It presents itself as light, deceptive. She continues, but Kathy soon obeyed. She started calling each of the gods by the Egyptian name she knew, telling them in Jesus' name they had to go. There were many of them because the name because the ancient Egyptians had a deity to represent every facet of life. Kathy also told anything she had worshipped as a Wiccan and anything she had remembered from the folklore of her childhood that it had to go to. They resisted at first, she said, but once they heard the name of Jesus, they left. As each god left, I saw them as they were. No lovely masks anymore. Instead, they had horrible, evil faces. It scared me I knew then that these were no gods at all, but demons. The same testimony we have from Scripture. And Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and talking about things sacrificed to idols. He says, is, is the idol anything? No. Is, is what's being sacrificed anything? No. It's, just, it's a wooden idol. But, but what you don't realize is that what you were worshiping and sacrificing to was a demon that was behind it. That's the domain of darkness is, is a domain that is this world that Satan has a hold of. So as we start to realize that, that and that's a domain that Satan has a hold of, regardless of whether you're dabbling in these other religions or you're just a, an ordinary U.S. citizen Texan who doesn't believe in anything, you're still captive by the same darkness. So do we realize the, the consequence of the things that we do? Do we realize that, that, that when we love or when we sin, we're operating in a context that is two domains? So my, my final point here that we need to get into is that I need to have a kingdom Perspective. This is part of what Paul's doing here, not just saying, here's how I'm praying for you, Colossians, but, but he is setting up a perspective of where they are at to see the world through a perspective. And he's going he's gonna to make it even greater as he gets into who Christ really is. And it's from that perspective then that he's going to be able to deal with false teaching and deal with some of these things that they're facing and put them in a place to be able to live in the strength and and. And to walk worthy in the strength of the Lord. But I need to see things through a true and real perspective, a kingdom perspective. And if I look, look with me in James. Wisdom of God. 
and to understand the seriousness of what we do or don't do. James chapter 3 and verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There you go, another piece of the wisdom and understanding of God. Meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Lord, convict my heart of doing those things. Let me see fully the truth that behind those things is not just my own sin, but an influence of, of an enemy who wants to destroy and, and, who would, and who would influence and tempt and, and, and deceive in order to get me to, to operate in my own pride, my own ambition. Because those things are things of the domain of this world and they're demonic. Do I have a kingdom perspective of what's happening. And that's a kingdom to see that there's the kingdom of God that is opposed to a domain of darkness. And those things are very real. But what is the wisdom of the Lord? It says in 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's what the fruit darkness produces. But the wisdom from above, spiritual understanding and wisdom, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who and we understand that in the context of a true understanding of what we're dealing with. Kingdom of God. A domain of darkness. Something that both uh, the, the ex-witch and the ex-Satanists <laughs> talked about when asked, how do you reach someone who has that background? Both of them said, through love. Through love. In their own experience, it was someone who loved them. The ex-Satanist, God brought him out of, out of two failures of, of suicide to, to a place of saying, of surrender, saying, okay, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you, but I don't know how. And so he ended up going, uh, trying to find a church. And six different churches didn't know what to do with an ex-Satanist that's looking for Jesus. But the seventh church he went to, there's a family that invited him into their home. And to the table. And he felt comfortable. He felt loved. And he felt open to share his background experience of four years <clears throat> as a Satan. And what did they say? They said, you need to be prayed for. And they prayed for him. He said he felt his presence leave him. And he said he felt that it had fear when it left him. The last truth that we need to hold on to is that the gates of hell don't stand against the light of the gospel. We have nothing to fear. That was in the testimony of both of them as well. Uh, Christians, you don't have to fear anything that is in the domain of darkness. God has transferred, transferred us out of that. He has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We, we, are, uh, we can't be taken out of the hand of God. Not persecution, not anything else. I'm going to end by just reading Romans, the end of Romans. worship. <laughs> we could read all of Romans 8. That'd be worship. 
Romans 8, starting in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, Jesus, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Is any of that Take us from the love of God. No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, demonic powers, satanic powers, none of that, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let's worship our Lord Jesus.
Save them. 